0: Thrive friends, this is your host, Dr. Solomon. Today, we have a special guest, my professional colleague, Jeffrey Hull. Jeff is the author of the book, Flex. Jeff is a clinical and organizational psychologist by training. Uh, He has over 20 years of experience working with the C-suite executives on high-performance leadership, change management, organizational strategy, and culture. Jeff is also an instructor at Harvard Medical School and NYU. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, good to be here. Good to see you. Reading your book, Flex, I truly appreciated your unconventional thought as to an emerging leadership theme that accommodates and flexes between what you coined as alpha and beta styles or themes of leadership. You go so far as to say that successful leadership under the current uncertainty will require something very distinct from the traditional alpha charismatic leader. Could you elaborate on this point and what you mean by alpha and beta leadership and the evidence that supports your suggested theme of new leadership?
1: Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. In order to sort of elaborate on how these distinctions emerged. I think you have to go back a bit in my practice. So as you mentioned, I've been uh, doing executive coaching leadership development work for many, many, many years and teaching at NYU teaching at Harvard Medical School um, And in those environments, both with leaders with students um, with physicians. And so in a a variety of places, I started to notice about five years ago, a really big shift taking place in the demographics, the values and the focus of the, the folks that I have been coaching to become more effective leaders. And when you think about the demographics, it was really noticeable to me that you see more women, more people of color, more people of multicultural backgrounds. Um, as obviously we move toward a more globalized environment for many organizations. Secondly, you have a a flattening of organizations. You know, you have a more networked, uh, less hierarchical environment, especially in startups, but even in large organizations that are really trying um, to work more effectively without the traditional sort of of top-down command and control structural Uh, situations. And then finally, recognizing that, you know, the science, as you mentioned, the evidence, the science that's been studying effective leadership around some of the key themes, you know, communicating, directing, decision-making, team-building, culture, all of those areas, the, the science has evolved in the last five years to really show that organizations that are just run by what I call the alpha or authoritative kind of hard-driving results-oriented, kind of a linear approach to leadership are not as effective as those that have a more multifaceted approach. So, you know, you put all that together and what I started to notice and what ultimately became one of the framework or key themes in the book Flex is the emergence of what I call the beta style leader. And, That is not to say that alphas, you know, what we think of, which is a real, it's actually pretty straightforward to understand an alpha style leader, but it doesn't, it's not always a man. I would always um, say that immediately because people tend to think that when we use alpha, we mean male because that's kind of the biological Mm -hmm. derivation. But it's really more just directive, authoritative, front and center, individualistic, uh, decisive, visionary, all of those kinds of monikers that we know well. The beta style leader is, a, is really coming from a different place. It's the, it's the evolution of what was written about in the 80s and 90s called servant leadership or collaborative leadership and some or some academics call it transformational leadership. But it's really a style that starts from a place that we want to create an environment that gets the best out of everyone. And that doesn't necessarily look like being highly directive or decisive or visionary. It looks more like a collective approach to leadership. It's more consensus-driven. It's sometimes actually leading by following. And it makes room for folks with different cultural backgrounds and different training and different personalities, maybe even an introvert or someone who comes from a culture, maybe in Asia, that's hierarchical but more collective to be effective as a leader. So at the end of the day, what I wanted to do was to use the science that's evolving around effective leadership, my own experience as a coach and seeing all the different um, leaders that were showing up in my practice that were just simply looking different. And I wanted to honor that the way we lead today effectively in today's flattened and, and networked organizations is really fundamentally changing.
0: Thank you for sharing this. I really appreciate your point about leadership by following. Could you elaborate on this?
1: Well, it's it's a really interesting dynamic, and it points to what I consider to be the, I mean, in a sense, the crux of the matter around organizational effectiveness, which is that when you lead, you step out front and you create a path of communication that's individual, like my decisions, my vision, my um, coordination of the team. And at the end of the day, what what happens is that you lose, if you do that exclusively, you lose the benefit of some of the incredible talent and creativity and input from people that are not necessarily Um, running from the top of the pack or from the front of the pack. So when I say lead and follow, it's almost, that's what I I get into the book around leadership agility. Mm -hmm. It's not an either or proposition. There's still a place for a very strong, decisive leader at times. But if you really want to create an environment where your, your value and your commitment and your passion as a leader is to get the best out of everyone, then there are times when it makes sense to step back and actually be a listener, be a collaborator, be curious, and encourage, empower, and then coach. Ultimately, we see a lot these days around leader as coach. You know, coach those other folks in your organization to step up and have a voice. And this plays out in so many powerful ways when it comes to multiculturalism, when it comes to um, anti-racisms where people have felt oppressed and not had a voice, So a leader as follower is someone who has that awareness that it may be appropriate, it may even be more
0: effective
1: to follow, to encourage and to empower others so that you get the best out of everyone.
0: So what I hear you saying is leaders could be both, alpha and beta, and they have to uh, choose which position they would be in depending on the situation and depending on the circumstances. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and it's a really important distinction. For example, there's an assessment in my book that I used many, many times in setting up the, the program around what I call post-heroic leadership, which is this movement beyond the alpha style. And just a quick anecdote: you know, I did this program for a group of physicians in Toronto. Uh, at Sunnybrook. So I was working with a group of about 15 doctors that were leaders. They were like chairs of different departments. And I had a dinner program with them and um, I had them do this post-heroic assessment, which basically gives them an opportunity to reflect on whether they're an alpha or a beta style leader in different dimensions, decision-making, communication style, collaboration, authenticity, emotional agility, those kinds of key dimensions to be an effective leader. And over dinner, one of the leaders said to me, oh, well, this was such an easy assessment, Jeff, because I just checked myself in the middle all the way along. I'm just kind of in the middle, in between alpha and beta. And what was great about it is that I knew there would be some folks that always do that, right? You know, they're, They don't wanna to have to choose, so they're betwixt and between. Well, his colleagues that were sitting around the table all looked at me and rolled their eyes like, he's not in the middle, he's never in the middle. And so we all had a good laugh about that. And he was, you know, willing to take the feedback that it's not about being in the middle, to your point. At the end of the day, what we want to do is develop agility, to have that awareness that there are times when being alpha is really crucial. Like at the beginning of this pandemic, when, when leaders that I worked with had to make decisions about protocols and how to work at home effectively, and how are we going to continue working together in a virtual environment, some of those things had to be decisive. But then, three months later, when the pandemic was starting to get very long and people are starting to get tired and anxious and frustrated, you know, the same leaders came to me and said, you know, my, my sort of directive style is not working anymore. Half my team didn't show up on the Zoom call. What can I do, Jeff? And that's when we would get into a conversation about them shifting gears Develop the agility to be more inclusive, more collaborative, ask questions, ask someone else to step up and lead, go around the room, you know, be more inclusive, be more collaborative, which is a different way of leading for a lot of the traditional alphas. So your point is right on. It's not about being both. It's about being able to move as the context requires in one direction or the other.
0: Terrific, Jeff. For viewers interested in knowing more about Jeff's book, Flex and the Leadership Agility, go to the browser and go to jeffreyhull.com. You can also follow Jeff on his Twitter, dr underscore jeffrey underscore hull. And why not follow me as well at MD, both in Instagram and Twitter. Jeff, I like to view the current pandemic as almost an obligatory reset button in everyone's life. Right. In, in a sense, it's a hidden opportunity, not only for established leaders that your book caters towards, but also for everyone, because everyone is a leader in some capacity. How could we flex and thrive during this time of uncertainty using the leadership theme that you advocate for in your book?
1: Oh, I love that question, because I think you're absolutely right that this, if there's a silver lining and having such a disruption in our crazy world. Um, it's to have an opportunity to step back and ask ourselves very deep questions. You know, how, what, is the value, what, are, what are our values as leaders? What are we trying to accomplish with our organizations? And, you know, when I wrote this book, I was actually as committed to bringing in the next generation of leaders as in the, in the book. And there are many examples throughout the book of people of color, of women, of people of different cultures, and also millennials. So, you know, I really did not want to do one of those, hey, I'm the famous white male CEO kind of books. Let me tell you how it goes. I didn't want to write one of those books. So this time that we live in is a crucial opportunity, I think, for us to step back and reflect on what it means to be a leader. And in the... in the context of my book, there are really three, although there are multiple dimensions, as I mentioned, to being an effective leader in an alpha beta kind of domain or dimension, there are really three areas that are crucial, I think, in today's context that we all need to have sort of front and center. The first is that we need to be cerebral and intellectual and open to the science. So, you know, I think there are three domains, intellectual, emotional, and somatic. And we all tend to have an affinity for one of those three. We tend to lean, and there's an assessment in in my book where you can discover which one of those three you tend to lean towards, but they're all equally valid. But what my point here is I think for in general, we think of leadership as a cerebral or a rational activity, decision-making, communicating but the emotional and the somatic components are really crucial. So during a pandemic, for example, where people are struggling with how do I work at home and how do I do Zoom calls and how do I teach my kids when they're here with me and life balance gets disrupted and that's where things like emotional agility are really crucial. And then the somatic component, which is the physical presence, the energy, the physical energy, how do you take care of yourself? What, how do you develop resilience, practices, to get through this difficult time becomes really, really crucial. And it's kind of ironic because I'm coaching clients that uh, probably don't think very much about the somatic aspects of leadership when they're sitting in their office behind their desk or in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. But in today's environment, when we're all on Zoom, it's paradoxical because even though we're distant, we're not in the same room with each other, Social cohesion and social connection is a physical experience. It's actually the non-verbals. It's the eye contact. It's the presence. It's so much more noticeable, actually, when we're not even physically together. Mm -hmm. So leaders have to really pay pay attention to the somatic aspects and the emotional aspects of leadership. It's not just about making great decisions or having a wonderful vision. You have to bring people together and create a sense of trust You know, my colleague Amy Edmondson writes about psychological safety and the research that underpins that is really powerful. Well, how do you create psychological safety? Human beings, as I note in my book, they get a sense of whether they trust each other in microseconds. Mm -hmm. It happens in your eyes. It happens in your face. It happens in your hands. And so when when we're on Zoom, it's both more difficult But it's actually easier if you're very intentional to create a sense of safety, to create a sense of connection. So to your question about this disrupted time in the pandemic, these elements of effective leadership, being emotionally vulnerable, being emotionally accessible, paying attention to how your team feels, asking very specific questions. What's going well? What's not going well? How can we support each other? How do we create a sense of cohesion together as a team? So those are the kinds of things that were always important, even in the office, when things were going along so-called normally. But now they're crucial because it's really a, a difficult time for a lot of us. And you know, within the next few months, there are probably gonna be very few people who haven't at least been connected or touched by someone who may have even had the virus or someone who passed away. So this is a very difficult time. So as a leader, these become really important elements to be effective.
0: And on this note, you talked about creating psychological safety and being emotionally vulnerable and emotionally in touch with the team. Could you share one or two thoughts how leaders could do this, how they can create something where employees would not just say everything is okay, but in reality it is not? especially when they are at a distance and they do not want to lose their jobs in a time where everyone feels uncertain? Yeah, it's a really important question. And
1: the the good news is that the answer to what you're pointing to is actually not very complicated. The research has shown, the neuroscience research, that the human brain responds really well to positive feedback and to being heard You know, people pay attention to whether or not they feel safe, whether they feel a sense of certainty, whether they feel a sense of autonomy and a sense of relatedness and a sense of competence. And this is something that can be created very, very easily. But I think that leaders who are very well-intentioned make one big mistake when it comes to these kinds of things far too often. And that is what you just pointed to, which is they are too generic. They're too generalized. So how is everyone feeling today?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How are you doing? Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. The key is to be very specific. It's very interesting because as a coach, we are trained and leaders that are training to be coaches to use open-ended questions. How are you? What are your goals? Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go with your life? You know, tell me more. So that's absolutely valid when you're in a coaching dynamic. But to your point, when you wanna create a sense of safety, when you want people to feel calm and a sense of trust and a feel of a sense of possibility in a difficult moment, that doesn't work, you need to be very specific. And I'll give you an example. You need to say to your team, I'd like to go around the room at the beginning of each of our team meetings and have each person share one very specific thing that's happening in their life that's particularly difficult. What is one challenge you're faced with right now? Or likewise, go around the room and ask everyone to share, tell us one thing that happened this past weekend that really surprised you in a positive way. What was a highlight? What did you love about your Sunday? Did you do anything that was fun? Likewise, when you give feedback, which should be very regular, to include very specific thank yous to people. People appreciate not waiting six months to hear that they did a great job on this project or that project, but to hear that you actually noticed that, hey, you know, the way you finalized that project last last week with the, you know, the executive summary or the PowerPoint, that was really, really well done. I just want to make you aware that I really appreciate that. It's an interesting paradox, like when you're coaching, you want to open up and explore and have an open-ended dialogue. But when you're trying to create safety and you're trying to get people to feel connected and trusting, you need to be very specific. Don't ask people, oh, so how are you? Because to your point, what will happen is people will be feel a little like, oh, you're testing me. Oh, I'm fine. We're all good. Mm-hmm. And if that happens and the leader doesn't pay attention, you, you're not really getting what's the truth. You're not getting underneath.
0: I really appreciate this point. It's about the specificity of the yeah. question. Yeah. Although it sounds paradoxical to the coaching and even psychology principles, right. it's the specificity that will get people to really open up.
1: And the irony is that my clients who test this out always come back to me and say, that was so powerful, Jeff. What I realize is the very specific issues that people are grappling with. You know, I have a very ill grandparent or I have difficulty with my children or I'm trying to keep the dogs from jumping in front of my screen on my Zoom calls or I just don't have time to do my mindfulness practices or my yoga practice was so great, so hard yesterday that I couldn't move. My back was killing me. It's all common themes. We feel that we're unique. We have these very specific challenges. And yet when they're shared, all of a sudden we realize that there's this common humanity. I'll give you another real quick example that works so well, which Mm -hmm. is when you have a multicultural or a multi-geographically based team, Mm -hmm. go around the room and ask folks to share what they eat. Mm -hmm. What did you have for dinner last night? What did you cook? And two things happen. One, you learn about all these incredible varieties. You know, People from India don't eat the same thing from, as people from Korea or France or New York. And then you also learn that there's incredible commonalities, right? People from New York will share that their favorite food to have delivered is Thai food. And then, you know, and so it can, it can actually be levity, it can be lightening, um, and it just creates a sense of cohesion And at the end of the day, we used to do it at the water cooler, right? And now we just have to be intentional about it.
0: Yes, given that, yeah, we don't have this option of uh, the water fountain side chat anymore. So we have to create it virtually. Speaking of vulnerability, Jeff, uh, you are now director at one of the premier evidence-based coaching institutes, the IOC. You are an author. You are an invited speaker, but you also had your share of struggles earlier in your career. Uh, you had a breakdown with a very tough boss, and it just, when it rains, it pours. It happened during the economic recession, and you managed to emerge from this uh-huh. setback. Could you share with us your journey, and I'm sure it will resonate with many who are going through a tough time now, and they would like to rebound back during this pandemic.
1: No, I appreciate that. I think um, uh, any of us that have had some level of success in the world can look back on the crucible moments when, you know, there are turning points where you have to go through sort of the difficult, um, painful, sometimes what feels like failure experiences in order to come out on the other side with a great deal more wisdom, humility, and also to recognize what you need to learn. Um, and I, I think for me, earlier in my career, I was very fortunate even early in the, my career to work for a very large consulting firm as a director of HR. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even in that sort of prestigious um, strategy consulting environment, I found myself kind of getting ahead of myself in my career. I had a couple of, very, this was a partnership um, You know, it's one of the top four consulting firms. It will shall remain nameless, but uh, a firm that pretty much everybody will have heard of. Mm -hmm. And it was a partnership. And I was head of HR or or one of the senior folks in HR. And I had a couple of very difficult partners. Um, I would call them toxic. Um, They were alpha. They were decisive and directive, downright bossy. Um, And they had a habit of demoralizing team my teammates in ways that were really almost abusive and the punchline without getting into the details is that as the head of HR I kind of took it on my own shoulders like I'm going to fix this problem and I'm going to coach these people and I I really want to help you know I had the best of intentions Mm -hmm. but I failed miserably (laughs) first of all I did not really have the skills to coach a toxic leader um, no, second of all, I think I was kind of full of myself that in my early thirties, I was going to coach a 50 year old, uh, head of a division, you know, and at, in, in a big New York firm. So the bottom line is I didn't get fired, but I came pretty close to getting fired. And, um, I realized that it created more pain for me than it, it didn't even bother him. And there were a couple of them actually, but it didn't, that's who they were, you know, I was more in pain by my sense of failure, and so I had to take myself out of that environment. And I did leave my job in a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, "Oh my God, I only have a very limited amount of savings. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. People think I'm crazy to leave such a great job in the you know in the middle of an economic recession." But here's the thing: I did have relationships, and I did have. Uh, an opportunity to step back and reflect on what was most important to me and I was willing to take some risk. And I think that's what people need to step, you know, think about, you know, keep connected to the people that count in your life that can be support that can be mentors. And don't hesitate to see failure or fall down or breakdown as an opportunity to reinvent yourself. I mean, I ended up realizing that if I wanted to be able to coach people, if I wanted to be able to work with really difficult, highly effective, impressive alphas, I needed some training. So I went back to school and I took out a loan and I studied for quite a few years to get my PhD in clinical depth psychology. And, you know, looking back on it now, I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity. Because yeah, I had an MBA and I had a fancy job, but, I had so much to learn. And I was kind of a bit kind of full of myself to think that I could coach or change someone at the end of the day. Now, 20 years later, I actually don't believe I can change people, people change themselves. So you know, I'm much more willing to be humble and vulnerable and recognize that I'm on the journey just like everyone else. And it's those moments in your life when things don't go well <laughs> that at the end of the day, I think that's where we learn and deepen. Um, and if we're just willing to trust, get support, and take a, take a little risk, follow your passion, things tend to work out.
0: This is wonderful. You- went from very highly paid profession to something that will pay you almost what one fourth or one fifth of your salary. And you still embraced it.
1: Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, I had savings, so I did have enough, I did the budget and I cut way back. Yeah. And I did, I did, you know, have enough to live on for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, But actually, you know, I look back on that time and the thing that made the biggest difference was the connections that I made Mm -hmm. during that time, the relationships that I, you know, I was in a little bubble in my corporate job. Mm -hmm. And then when I got out of that bubble and I went to graduate school and I met these amazing professors and I met these amazing students that were also on a journey like mine. And I stayed in touch with other folks that I knew that had made life changes. And they ultimately introduced me to potential clients. And so even though I was a graduate student for a period of time, I also, you know, I actually wound up with clients fairly quickly. But it wasn't because I had some magic formula. It was because I stayed connected to people. Mm-hmm. So that is also really crucial, is to make sure you're building your and it's not networking, you know, like sending out your resume and all of that. It's not that kind of networking. It's deepening your relationships. I was really curious and that's what I would always coach anyone who's going through a career change stay curious stay connected to people look for where you can add value to them and they can add value to you because you never know where people can help you you know sometime in the future
0: I couldn't agree more what would you say to many who would look at staying in connection as schmoozing how can they make it Authentic, how they can add value to someone without feeling that they are brown-nosing. Yeah, I mean, this to my
1: mind is a sort of classic career networking 101, right? I yeah. mean, the the going around glad handing and giving out your business card stuff, first of all, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And second of all, it never has. Um, and so I think there to me, there are really two key considerations mm-hmm. when it comes to building a valuable, meaningful network that will support you during good times and bad. Number one is be in integrity about your curiosity. When you reach out to people and you wanna talk to them, make sure you really are interested in their work and make sure you do your homework, read the articles that they've published, read the books that they've written, look up their backgrounds. And when you're curious, again, back to that issue of specificity, Say t- t- say to someone, you know, Amy Edmondson. I just read your most recent article on psychological safety, and I love the third point that you made in that article. And I'm just really curious to learn more. Um, Amy may be deluged and not happy that I said yeah. that, but <laughs> but my point is, you know, be honest about who you're. Cu- don't just meet people for the sake of meeting them. Track down the people that you're really curious about, and what and and the, whose work you really value. That will then come across as having authenticity. And people always love, I mean, when people write to me and they say, I read your book and I feel like it was written for me. And here's the part that I love. I mean, I always respond to that. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. And then number two is the key to successful relationship building is reciprocity. Look for you where you can give back, where you can help. And even if you're a 22 year old college student, you can give back to others. I mean, I'm learning from young people every single day. So it has nothing to do with the amount of years you have or the amount of experience you have or your background. I mean, you know, just look for the opportunity where you can help someone else and they may be 25 years more your senior. But, you know, maybe you really love someone's work, but they're really terrible at social media. You could reach out and say to them, you know what, I'd love to help you upgrade
0: (laughs) your social media.
1: (laughs) You know, so, so there's a lot of ways to think about adding value to someone else. So those are my two...
0: Key themes I think. So in summary the best way to keep in touch and expand your network authentically would be specificity and reciprocity.
1: Yeah and I would add with specificity your true curiosity.
0: True curiosity yes yeah.
1: yes. Yeah. What you're really interested in not just meeting yes. people for the sake of meeting people.
0: Before we end Jeff anything you would like to share that you have not discussed in other interviews so far? Um,
1: I, 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 think what's percolating for me that, uh, it's just pointing to the future. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and what I mean by that is that, you know, I hate to say this, but I actually, I, cause I would love to encourage folks to get my book and to read, uh, um, flex and to think about this, um, spectrum of alpha beta leadership. And I really want to honor, if you think of yourself as a reluctant leader, read this book because it's gonna really help you. But I would also say that I'm the <laughs> first one to admit that I think my book is actually outdated. This is really scary when you think about it. It used to be that when you wrote a book that's well-researched and it's sort of trying to be uh, up-to-date in the space or right, leadership, that it should last a few years, right? It should last yeah. maybe five years, 10 years. Well, here we are a year, I'm coming up on a year later and I think my book is outdated. And But what I mean by that is I think that even spectrums like alpha, beta, kind of like left brain, right brain, right wing, left wing, you know, in politics, all of these sort of bifurcated ways of seeing the world are really no longer serving us. And I do write about this briefly in the book, um, but I think I'm really pushing the envelope now. Um, The next thing I want to write about is is going to be called meta-leadership, and I want to introduce this term, and I'm probably not the first one introducing it, but We all need to start to think about transcending these binaries, moving into beyond an either or world. And it's easier said than done, but at least we can start to reflect on where we get stuck in right and wrong, left and right. So I just want to share that with your listeners that I'm on the journey Uh to uh, actually move on to what's next, even in my own work. And uh, it's going to be called Meta, because I think that's where we need to go
0: meta leadership so it's more of the a spectrum rather than a binary system
1: and realizing that we're we're creating a narrative everything we do in our world is a narrative we're creating a story and the stories tend to have binaries and then in a binary story you have winners and losers you have leaders and followers you have right and wrong we need to move beyond that we need to be truly inclusive which means to have a more systemic, multi-perspective view on organizations, on ourselves, on leadership. So it's a big challenge, Uh, but I'm up for it. And I think Salomon Doctor, you are. That's what I would leave you with. It's like, that's what's next.
0: Always a pleasure to chat with you, Jeff, and looking forward to having you again on Thrive and talking about meta leadership. Ah, yeah, well, (laughs) <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later stay oh, tuned for people watching us today if you like this episode please share with your professional circles and if you are interested in knowing more about jeff please visit his website at jeffreyhull.com you can follow him on twitter at dr underscore underscore hull and you can follow me on my instagram and twitter at dr_solomon_md. Until we meet next time, keep safe, keep motivated, keep resilient. Thank you. And keep tuned for my next episode of Thrive. Thank you.